Linetti like spaghetti. Don't forget it. Oh, gosh. Yep. If you ever forget how to pronounce my name, just think of spaghetti and you got it. So, um, <laughs> Welcome to the Hub Podcast, a resource for house church leaders to foster and guide healthy house churches toward deep devotion, contagious community, and missional imagination. This is an extension of Common Ground Northeast Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to, uh, I don't know, whatever edition we're on of the Hub Podcast, helping to equip our congregation and anyone else out there that might be listening to us. My name is Eric, and I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast, and I'm Sam Linetti. I'm the formation pastor at Common Ground Northeast. Thanks for the introduction. Linetti likes spaghetti. Don't forget it. Oh, gosh. Yep. If you ever forget how to pronounce my name, just think of spaghetti and you got it. So... um, (laughs) kicking off this episode uh, we have uh, started a new series here at the church and on our podcast as well and we are marching through values of common ground northeast what why we uh, consider our I guess the DNA of what we consider to be common ground northeast and so uh, the first one last week was common ground what does it mean to be common ground and this week we're diving into our next value which is, empower. And uh, we talked this past weekend, there's a a couple of different things that we mean when we say empower, or when we say we value empowering um, different things, people and whatnot here. So uh, Eric, if you would, would you give us a brief uh, overview or just a brief description of when we say we value empowering, what do we mean by that here at Common Ground Northeast? Yeah, so the term was developed by our elders, you know, over lots of discussion as we were trying to figure out, like, what are our core values? What do we want to revolve our church around? What do we want to anchor ourselves in and claim as our identity? What is distinct? You know, in other words, what is distinct about us? And so um, this became, you know, like, and I'm going to be more specific about it when it gets there. But one of the things we wanted to do was to embed our justice and reconciliation stuff into each of these so that justice and reconciliation wasn't just its own thing. And I think still the jury's out on that. If we're going to finalize one more, um, you'll hear me preach on seek justice, but um, I'm not sure that that's going to make it into the core values because we, again, we try to bake it into everything. And so it has a twofold meaning. One was to capture this organic. um, And I guess I'll do a quick shout out. If you haven't heard our previous podcast talking about what is the church, what is the church not? um, We really get to dive in a little bit more on what what we think of in terms of the organic understanding of what the New Testament meant about church, as opposed to the institutionalized version that we tend to buy in or the Western um, Americanized modern evangelical church uh, is is not necessarily what the first century church looked like. And so um, the idea of that organic sense of being a follower of Jesus and what that meant, we wanted that to be Um, represented inside of our core values. And so empowering is one of them. And one of the main things that you'll see inside of the organic and house church movement is that they try to reverse the, um, they, they and we would embrace this idea that somewhere along the line, the church took hold of 
and bought into this idea of the org chart sense of hierarchy inside of our um, inside of our the organization of the church. And instead of it being more of like a family, an oikos, one that operates not with hierarchies, but there's always relational um, leadership, you know, inside of any um, organization or in any, any family unit. But, you know, we have, quote, the senior pastor, which is, to be honest, we made that idea lead pastor, you know, we call you formation pastor. We actually grabbed one gift, which it says there's a fivefold, right? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And I've said this before, but we kind of, the joke in traditional or the joke in organic circles is the pastor, the shepherd absorbed the teacher, taught that the apostle and prophet didn't exist anymore. And then made the evangelist uh, or, or uh, um, hindered the evangelist so much that they just left to start a nonprofit mission organization so they could get something done. And so they kind of mean that as like kind of a tongue in cheek, funny way, but there's a little bit of truth to that, right? And what we have done is instead we've embraced a, a, um, a corporate, the lead pastor is a CEO. And everyone else on the org chart, you know, falls somewhere underneath them. You mean and Jesus, so th- this, Jesus wasn't a CEO. <laughs> he sure wasn't. <laughs> Isn't there a book called Jesus CEO? I think. Oh, I guarantee you there is. What a, um, yeah, I don't, I have kind words for that. Your, sentiment. <laughs> your, your, <laughs> but, your comment about the evangelist leaving to start a nonprofit or some parachurch organization yeah. is, is almost like, comically so true in a lot of my experiences with friends and stuff like it's almost painful to actually have that yeah i mean it is it rings true though it's got a little sting to it and i've heard neil cole and alan hirsch and these guys say things like that before um but but it's but it's true right and the the honest truth is we need all five to be um working in a flattened structure maybe a first among equals right people have tried to do that but in a flattened structure um, where they can all be a checks and balances to one another. They can, you know, call each other out, push and pull. Some of them are more pioneering in their instinct and pushing the, um, the uh, kingdom of heaven forward. And some of them are more cultivating. And so like, I'm going to shepherd and teach and get people built up in their discipleship. Um, whereas the evangelist and, and apostle prophet tend to be more forward thinking what's next for the kingdom of heaven and getting mm-hmm. new people into yeah. the kingdom of heaven. And so Which- you have that, um, Go ahead. I'll I'll just I'll just kind of quick plug on that. Uh, in even in our previous episodes, we had talked about doing a another either series potentially episode to really break down some of that um, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We I I think it'd be really cool to do that series. So, uh, stay tuned for yeah. that if you're really interested in that. I think that's probably something that's coming down the pipeline. Yeah, that'd be good. So, so the first part of Empower was our way of capturing this organic sense of um, reversing the pyramid. And, and I'll use that language in particular, right? Pharaoh sits at the top of the pyramid. The slave huts sit at the bottom of it. And you have, um, you know, your different leaders on the org chart. And so to take this pyramid and flip it upside down, and say that Jesus was a servant to all. He made himself the lowest of the low. He took off his, his outer garment, put on a, um, you know, a, an apron, and he, and he um, washed the feet of the disciples, right? I mean, that's, that's a re- complete reversal of the, 
the, the um, Egyptian regime, the empire, and um, to be the least among these, right, uh, in order to serve the most. And so in order to do that, those who would be typically seen as at the top of the pyramid have to use what they have to empower those at the bottom. And, and so the idea was not just to delegate or to share, but, and I'll, and I'll use, I'll give an example of what I mean um, by this, but to actually divest yourself at the top of something in order that it could be shared with others. And some things can be, um, you know, can be shared, but at times um, sharing means giving up, you know, sacrificing, letting go um, and allowing someone else to have or to take the place of the position that you hold. Okay. So I guess, all right. So that's one. Yeah. So empower others would be a reversal of a typical hierarchical org chart and a lot, putting us as leaders in position to say, we are empowering the priesthood of all believers. So that's yeah. one iteration of it. Yeah. It's not always extreme as like King Pharaoh slaves at the bottom. It's not always that extreme, but there's a, a traditionally a clergy laity distinction where you're the paid professionals. That's what we pay you to do. You do the ministry. Right. We just attend. We are pass. We are passive observers in the pews. Um, and we come to hear and listen when in fact, yeah. there's lots of people with lots of giftings um, more than just the one person with the microphone up front, you know, whether that be the worship musician or right. the preacher, the one teaching that day. And so we want to give other opportunities and encourage um, that to happen in the in the pews as well. And then the second one would just be um, the way in which you know power structures work. And the Pharaoh thing can definitely be brought into this, but uh, maybe we'll get into that. But the the uh, the idea that those who whom society deems as the majority opinion, um, you know, in our culture we've we've tackled racism and so um the white people the white culture would be the majority culture um and you know in a patriarchal culture the males would be the majority yeah. culture and uh i i always add in there um too from from my experience just having grown up in a an under-resourced community um you know me having to interact with people who are middle class and affluent um there's a marginalization that takes place there but but to see this as the way in which we engage in justice and the way in which we engage with reconciliation we want to do so in a way that empowers people um but is but is not um self-serving to the majority uh or you know just a photo op if that makes sense but to actually hand off power to them yeah 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 so in both of these in the priesthood of all believers and then also empowering those uh, marginalized, no matter what cultural context you find yourself in, th those that are being marginalized are pushed to the margins. The, the common thread, I think, in either one of those with the empower is this idea, and Eric, you say it all the time, but to um, like the the you say the 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 mountains fall and the the valleys are. Yeah, um, I'm looking it up right now. I'm gonna I'll read it to us here later. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to just to read it right now? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so Isaiah, this is one of my, my life verses, um, <clears throat> profoundly affected me. I had an experience with God because of this verse that um, shook me to the point of taking it very seriously. Um, but it says this, um, Isaiah 40, and I'll start in verse 3. Um, it says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Then verse four, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hmm. What, I'm interested, yeah. what are your thoughts when you hear that initially, Sam? Well, it, it essentially sounds like Jesus, like the scriptures in general. So like when we're being called into this gospel narrative, what it's saying here, in, in my opinion, is you know, everything's level playing ground. Like literally it's saying made level, right? But like everything is now on, on even, even footing, no matter where you're coming from. And so if the, you find yourself in a position at all where there is unevenness, how are we then, and the, maybe this is my, uh, I don't know, evangelist, doer, whatever, but like how do then we engage in um, making making this even footing? And yeah. that would include then seeing those who are maybe considered mountains, mm-hmm. how to, I don't want to say we bring them down, but like how are they made low and those who might be considered valleys brought up so that as far as value goes, as far as empowering goes and everything, we're on equal footing, right? And so uh, to speak directly to the priesthood of all believers, essentially what you're saying is there's no, there's no professional pastor or uh, celebrity. It's we all are given the same spirit and we all move together uh, forward and not one person can embody all of what the image of Christ is, right? <laughs> that is yeah. a false narrative but it's actually in the the well this is taken out of context but the cloud of witnesses but like of everyone together we actually get more of a tapestry a um like a stained glass window if you will or or something of that nature of the image of god pieced together we actually are more in the image and likeness of god when we all together are uh bearing that image not just looking to one because to think that one person would bear most of the image and likeness is actually pretty narrow-minded. Mm. And then to That's even throw it to, to that. even to throw it to the marginalized and empowering them, um, those who are considered marginalized then also bear that same image. And so it does kind of make sense then to want to lift them up to actually allow that image to come through so that we as a body of believers, we together can, again, be closer to the image of God. So mm-hmm. in aspects, it is twofold, I think, the empower, but in the same breath, there's a thread that kind of ties them together too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Yeah. I, I think, you know, as you think of this valleys rise, mountain falls concept, my experience I had was um, I believe just the way that I grew up, that there was a point at which God kind of lifted me out of that. And I was not aware of um, any kind of academic understanding. I just had experiences and I knew what it was like to be the kid who is poor. And I um, was dating a girl who is in uh, the nicer neighborhood, which would by, you know, by kind of modern sense would be just a normal middle-class world. But I lived in trailer parks, like my you know, my, the entire, I mean, Bullhead city is a giant trailer park in, in many respects. Um, but then you go to the little outskirts and up on the Hills and there's neighborhoods with normal houses. Um, but they were so foreign to me. And 
to, um, it, it wasn't as obvious, it wasn't as overt, but as I started to interact with church and other, um, other spaces of higher affluence than I had, I realized I didn't know the language they were speaking. I realized I didn't mm. know um, the norms, the foods, the music um, that they were listening to. Um, and so, so as I began, I had to code switch those mm-hmm. things. And at times I would realize there were things in the scriptures that were very specifically favoring the poor and the oppressed. And I would have a very, it would stri- it would, it would resonate with me powerfully, mm-hmm. but then I would see those same verses be glossed over, even, um, explained in a way that made them, you know, well, I mean, of course we don't literally take that seriously. That's, you know, that's, we don't, we don't really sell our possessions and give to the poor. Well, as a poor person, I'm like, why not? I mean, that that would be real helpful for me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, I realized that there was a affluent contextualization that gave themselves a pass. Mm -hmm. So I believe that God lifted me out of this place. I I believe that there was no way anyone from a small town feels like this. So you might resonate a little bit with, with this, if you've been from a small town, but you like, I need to get out of this town, but I don't know how it's going to happen. Like, I don't have money. I didn't have, you know, I, I I don't know what my, 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 um, you know, I didn't have a plan. Like I I was under the impression that this city has me and I'm never getting out. Well, God made a way he rescued me. He he came down. I, I have this picture in my mind of God's hand coming down into the Valley of Bullhead city and pulling me out of it. Um, and then along the way, I got it to get favor and some influence and different things like that. I was made a leader at our campus. Um, and so as I started to interact with people in other, um, in other circles of marginalization, whether that be women or um, people of color, they started to use the similar language. I had a very striking moment with a young woman. Um, she's Latina and she was, we were at a, a party. She was a, a college um, and career kind of college career age student in one of my young adult ministries. And I told her about this moment. I was telling you about, I was dating this girl and um, in the midst of it, I was having this conversation and I've said this in a sermon, but she yeah. gave me, her mom gave me a drink. I sat it down and then her mom lifted and it was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And just kind of slowly lifted my drink and put a coaster underneath it. And um, you know, if you're in a, if that, if you're in a middle-class or Uh, you know, if your context is suburban, that's like a normal thing that you would do. But I had honestly never seen one of those before. I had never seen a coaster. And I'm like, what is that? What's going on right now? And I felt embarrassed. I told that to this young woman in my ministry. And she's like, hold up, go, go get my, my boyfriend. So her, her boyfriend, Andrew, come over. She's like, tell him the story you just told me. So I tell him the story and he looks at his, his girl, his fiance at the time. And he says, you didn't tell him to say this, that he like, this is all just him. Eric just said this. And she's like, yes, Eric, did I tell you to do it? I'm like, no. It's like, Claudia just had this conversation with me a few weeks ago. And I didn't believe it. Like, Hmm. I was like, that's crazy. Of course, you knew what that was like, not, that's not real. But what we realized is I wasn't, I did not grow up in a Spanish, you know, or a Spanish speaking context. I don't, I don't remember exactly where she's from, but um, the, the, the common denominator is we were both poor. Mm-hmm. And so that was just a foreign thing. Anyways, yeah. I started to hear other 
experiences. And so it wasn't, it didn't take a lot for me to see this in other people and to believe it when I heard women say, Hey, it's hard for me to explain, but when this happens, it's alienating and it makes, it puts you in a higher position or it puts men in a higher position. Same thing would happen um, with people of color that would give me their experience in majority white spaces. So I had that experience and immediately it was like, I know exactly what you're feeling. Now it's totally in a different extent um, because I can pretend I can, I can buy some clothes and, you know, pretend to know the language and kind of get a pass in the midst of that. Uh, eventually I feel like I'm always worried I'm going to get discovered, but I say all that to mention that this verse really hit me. And when I started to have means, when I started to be um, middle-class and, and engage in a middle-class culture, I, I felt like there's a point where God said, if you don't use what you have, uh, like, like this verse is true, whether you want to come into alignment with it. So either I will make you low or you will agree with me and lower mm. yourself. And, and, and I want you to lift people by doing that. So, so I remember reading it, not taking it seriously and having this moment with God where I felt like God said, okay, so there's one of two things going on here. You either do not believe that I will do what this verse says I will do. You don't believe me or you don't fear me. And I remember just feeling like, oh no. And mm. I just wasn't taking it seriously. But I literally now, when we make purchases, I remember getting on my knees before buying a house and asking Jesus, are you lifting me still? Or am I making a mountain of myself? Should mm. I buy this house or not? Yeah. This car, should I, I, before I went to get my seminary degree, I, I was like, I was being offered it. I didn't pay for it. Someone said, in order for you to be the pastor at this church, you have to have a master's degree. We will pay for it. That to me was a lifting. But I even stopped and said, am I just making a mountain? Will you, will I be brought low? Yeah. Because being brought low hurts. Will yeah. I be brought low, Jesus? And I felt like in that moment, I could accept it because I felt like Jesus was still telling me, I'm lifting you still. But, but to what end, right? Is so that I share that and, um, and yeah. use that to, to lift others. So yeah. I know it was a long answer, but it kind of illustrates the passion of why I chase after this concept. Yeah. So, um, so, um, I don't know so so much. Well, I think that kind of leads into a a question I have here that I'd like to discuss before, uh, we run out of time here. Yeah. Um, so you, you talked a a little bit about it here where you felt like God was lifting you, giving you, uh, even opportunities for either influence or platform or like even to own a home, you know, we, we, we've learned a, a ton about, how owning a home gives you a sense of um, generational wealth that you can use just because mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the equity that you get in, in land and, and in a house. And so coming from where you came from, from uh, more of a, you said, under-resourced area and to experience mm-hmm. some of these things, like one thing that I've been learning recently and even wrestling with is this idea of, okay, when it comes to empowering somebody, what role does sacrifice play in this? As far as like, do I have to, is it mandatory or required of me to sacrifice platform influence or wealth, or can I use it? And when I say that, I'll give a little bit of uh, background of my experience. Majority of my 
uh, Christian upbringing, I should say, uh, the things that influenced me well was oftentimes encouraging me to use my gifts, essentially go after the things that you're passionate about because it, it might be from God. So go do it. But it was all of this, go build your platform, go build your influence, even get that wealth and then use it to highlight and power the marginalized and support them. What I've been realizing recently is that that kind of route or that, that encouragement and even that discipleship that I've come under, although not necessarily all negative or, or wrong, it seemed to be largely void of true sacrifice. As in, in order for me to build my platform influence and wealth and then use it, I feel like I can, I can help marginalize people. I can throw money at this. I can use my platform, yet I don't have to sacrifice anything that I'm building for myself either. Yeah. And I've been wrestling with that. And you kind of spoke a little bit to that with your experience. So I'm just curious, like for, for some of our listeners who might be wrestling with the same thing, like, um, do, do we, do we go after those things and use it? Or like, what do we literally like, almost like the rich young ruler sell everything and follow Jesus? Like where, where, how do we navigate that? Is there a healthy negotiation of this or is it one or the other? So I think it's both but it really has a heart attachment to it. Mm. And well, first I want, I, want, I want to point out that the question itself can't be answered by somebody in the margins. Does, mm. does that make sense? This is a question a privileged person asks. Yeah. So, so let's like settle with that. Does that make sense? Like yes. you can only ask this question if you have so much margin in your... Uh, sorry, I'm using terms interchangeably. By that, I mean the word margin, meaning I have so much um, abundance yeah. in my yeah. financial capability that I can choose between those two. Um, so, so that's one thing I want to say is the question probably only gets asked by the person with means. So somebody who doesn't, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry, let me finish that. So somebody who doesn't can't ask that question, right? They, they don't have yeah. that yeah. Um, anything to wrestle with in there. So, so this is what I say, like some of it has to do with it reveals idols, right? Which is what the rich young ruler was, um, was surfacing. His yeah. money was his idol and he wasn't going to let go of it if it costs you. Now, if you can honestly say you would let go and most of us give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and say, we think we can, we'll even... I think we believe it sometimes until it's actually required of us. Yeah. We won't actually give it up. When I think that's true is when I've been around people who have had nothing before and they've tasted of homelessness and then have come back to the other side and realized I, I would do that. I would, I don't want that, but would, I realized it didn't end me. I had enough fortitude of heart, flexibility of faith. My spirit was not crushed. Um, which is yeah. what I believe Paul gets at when he says, I have learned to live with abundance and with nothing. Mm. If you can truly get there, I think you can be the richest person on the world and it's not an idol. I just don't have a lot of hope that most of us can get there. Mm. Um, you know, at least our, our knee jerk reactions are probably not true. Um, but, but I would say, so this is, this is the example I'm going to give. Um, think of Solomon and his interactions with David at first. He was competing with David. He was fearful of David. He had a platform and none of us want to think we all want to read ourselves as David, 
you know, the more noble of those two in that moment. Um, and of course, David had his huge flaws, but I'm talking about young David coming off the shepherd fields. He had experienced having nothing, right? He had, when it came to defending himself, he did it with very little. He, he lived off of whatever was in front of him as a shepherd does. Uh, so um, then he comes into the palace and he is, he is nothing but a threat to the person in power. Um, that to me is, it, it's um, if you can, if, if Saul had shared his platform with David, then there would have been a difference there because he had something to lose. Pete, David might've done better, right? And he would have to take that gut punch. He would have to take that ego hit. There was something to lose there. And so I think when you, you know, if you get outside of the monetary version of this, there's platform. Um, I'll give you a tangible way that I felt challenged to do this. Um, the, in, our, in, our, in one church context that I was in, I was a worship leader and I was raising up young worship leaders. These worship leaders had come out of the youth ministry and I thought they had the talent. They weren't perfect. They were still working out their kinks and trying to figure things out. But I had the trust. I was the one who was on the roster to be scheduled. And there's a couple of worship leaders. And so what I would do with that is when I was scheduled, I'd upload all of the things I needed to. Here's the songs we're doing in the chord charts and the keys that we're doing them in. And I, because I knew nobody else trusted them, so maybe this is a little bit sneaky, but because I knew nobody else trusted them, I would let them sing my songs. I would schedule them on the time I was leading worship and I would do Yes and Amen, a song I led a lot at that, at that church. And I would have this other student of mine lead that song. And I just wouldn't tell people because if they knew it was them, they would be like, well, we can't take that risk on a Sunday morning. What if it fails? You know, and I was willing to take the risk. But what I did is I, I was challenged, I feel like by God to allow my status to lift them up. And once they had the opportunity to shine, that was like, well, maybe they can do a couple songs here and there, but they wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not given my song up, my two or three songs you know, once every couple, twice, twice a month and allowed these two people to jump in and lead, you know, where, again, where I pushed the boundary on that was I had a female, it's not like we didn't have women sing songs, but to fortify her and teach her to be a worship leader where she was speaking and leading people and choosing her own songs. It sounds crazy in our context. Cause we wouldn't even think twice. That was very um, questionable in that moment in this context. And so, you know, I had to have those conversations. Like I didn't just put the dude up. I put the lady in charge and she led and she killed it, man. She like did a great job. Um, but I knew I was in trouble the moment I did that. No one was going to do anything that day. I was going to have a conversation later that week wherein mm -hmm. I could maybe lose. If you're going to do that, we can't trust you to lead anymore. Um, fortunately, I, I pushed into it enough I was able to like continue doing it, but yeah. um, that's one way. I, that was a way in which I was challenged. I had to use the male um, and positional authority. This it wasn't a classic marginalization. It was just because I was a pastor, right? I was the pastor on staff um, doing this stuff, and so I used that, gave up my platform strategically to bring these two people that were not taken seriously for various forms of marginalization, youth, their youthfulness, they're too young to do this. It's a, you know, it's a woman, should, should she be allowed to lead worship, et cetera. And um, allowed that 
I, you know, allowed the lowering of myself to lift them up, but it had to be an exchange. You see how like a sacrifice in that kind of situation, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, not everyone can be King. So Saul wasn't about to let David take that. And, but, you know, I think there's a way right. in which Saul, uh, think of Paul in the, in the new Testament, he sent Timothy on his behalf and yeah. it made him more fruitful, made him be able to be in two places at once because he trusted Timothy. Yeah. Um, and then Timothy made more disciples. And so yeah. again, the, the, the family, um, ideas back in play there too. So. Yeah. There seems to be a, in, in navigating that there seems to be a healthy disconnect between your value and identity from platform influence and wealth that you might have. And like yeah. you said, like when you said willing to give it up, I think that's that healthy disconnect of almost the idea that this isn't mine. Yeah. Whatever it might it's be. Great. And it's God's. And so rather than you, and I think this, you might've defined a little bit of the difference that I'm seeing in my own upbringing and what I'm uh, seeing now, rather than you fighting for platform influence and wealth so mm -hmm. that you can do for God. Yes. You allow God to do the lifting and then continue to uh, witness and, you know, continue his reconciling work, whatever that might be. And oftentimes it might be um, not using your own platform to influence wealth that you've created, but yeah. God lifted you to that point so that you can lift others. Yeah. I mean, I think that nail, it's a, hits a nail on the head. There is a sense of, am I ambitiously driving myself for status platform, more finances, et cetera, et cetera because I'm building my mountain status. That's a question I constantly would encourage people to ask. Am I, am I trying to build my mountain status? And I know we're, we're probably close to time, but I'll give one yeah. more example. This one hurts a little bit. I'm like two classes away from having another master of arts in worship. <laughs> um, I want really badly to have that certificate because I did the work and I'm only two classes away. I feel like God told me not at least as of now, don't finish these two classes because mm -hmm. all you want that other, you want that second master's so you can say, I got two masters. So I can like know in my heart, I have this piece of paper that gives me credibility in some circles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, man, but I'm only two away, right? Like, like it's this internal struggle in my head. Um, like, I'll just get it and not tell anyone God, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like we play these games, right? And it's not like God's against this, like masters. I just know my heart in this is, yeah. why, why would I be doing this? Yeah. Is it because I, you know, and, and in the end, I think my heart just isn't quite in a place where I can have that and not build, not be building my mountain status. Yeah. Um, and so as of now, I have two classes away from this at Northern Seminary that I now live down you know, a few hours away from and yeah. um, haven't been able to complete that. And so, so I think there's that question. There are times to withhold yeah. and say, why, you know, what is your heart in doing this? So anyways, I know we're probably getting close yeah, to well, time, but man, you got me on a couple of ideas. I didn't actually realize I had so much to talk about <laughs> on this subject, but well, anyways, this is good. Yeah. Just to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it. Uh, and we are over time. So apologize for that. And also apologize. We've had a little bit of a glitch in some of our 
uh, connectivity today. So if that comes through on the audio, sorry, but hopefully you heard as much as you needed to. Um, so, but, but yeah, in, in talking through everything that you just shared, like uh, some things that I've realized that whenever I was not making very much at all and got to the point where I had to really rely was the heart condition part that you were saying. And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of the challenge that you're throwing out to people today. And I think something that all of our listeners can take uh, as we go on forward from this was, you know, if, if you're considering um, whatever it might be, making a purchase, making a move, job opportunities or anything like that, are we sitting uh, and, and aware enough to ask ourselves the question of, What's my purpose here? Am, am I trying to lift myself or is God lifting me to this for a purpose? Uh, what's your heart condition on that? Um, and for me, uh, when it changed for me, I was at a point where I was still uh, tithing and giving as a discipline when I was making very, very little. And it was forcing me to find rides, even though I had a vehicle because I couldn't afford the gas. Or it was forcing me to rely on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a can of SpaghettiOs a day in order to make it to the next day with food. And that's all I had. And with that, it made me realize that my sacrifice altered the way I lived in order to lift and support others. And it changed my heart just as much. And so now I realize in the tithing and in, in, in the uplifting and in the empowering, are you doing it so to a point that it affects the way in which you live comfortably and then also then affecting your heart as well. Mm -hmm. And so maybe ask yourself some of those questions and what you're doing currently, what you're hoping to do, take an inventory, uh, consider some of the stuff we talked about today, and then uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Sound good? Yeah, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. We appreciate you stopping by and spending some time with us today. Make sure to check out the previous episodes on Hub Podcast. If you're interested in information on Common Ground Northeast, check out cgnortheast.com. We'll catch you next time.